Due to the graphic nature of this podcast, listener discretion is advised. This podcast may contain, but is not limited to, strong language, sexual content, violence, and death. This podcast may not be suitable for listeners under 18. Hi there, I'm Christina. And I'm Crystal. Welcome Welcome to to Crime Crime Night. Tonight's episode is about Elizabeth Short, also known as the Black Dahlia. Elizabeth Short was born on July 29, 1924, in Boston, Massachusetts, to Cleo and Phoebe Short, Nee Sawyer. Cleo and Phoebe were married on April 11, 1918, in Portland, Maine. Cleo served in the United States Navy during World War I. After he was discharged, he made a living building miniature golf courses. Elizabeth was the third of five girls, with her sisters being Virginia, Dorothea, Eleonora, and Muriel. Shortly after Elizabeth was born, the family moved to Portland, Maine, and then settled in Medford, Massachusetts. After the Great Depression started, Cleo abandoned the family in 1930, leaving Phoebe to raise the five girls on her own. Cleo, a known alcoholic, faked his death. He left his car parked by a bridge, making authorities believe he had committed suicide by jumping off into the Charles River. Cleo never disclosed the reason he left the family, although it was possibly due to the financial problems resulting from the Great Depression. After Cleo left the family with no money, Phoebe and the five girls moved into a small apartment just a few blocks from their elementary school. Phoebe worked as a bookkeeper to support the girls, however, most of their money still came from public assistance. Going to the movies was the Short family's main source of affordable entertainment and a way to escape their mundane lives. Elizabeth was well-liked in school, and her classmates often referred to her as a movie-struck girl and called her Medford's Hythe, Deanna Durbin, who was a popular Canadian actress at the time whom Elizabeth resembled. Elizabeth was a beautiful girl with black hair, green eyes, pale complexion, and who drew the attention of men wherever she went. She had a close relationship with her mother and would tell her details about outings with her friends and talked about boys with her. Elizabeth had severe bronchitis and asthma resulting in her having surgery on one of her lungs in order to drain fluid. She also reportedly suffered from tuberculosis as a child. Elizabeth eventually dropped out of school during her sophomore year of high school due to her ailing health. She moved down to Miami Beach, Florida during the winter to help relieve her severe asthma, where she worked as a waitress. Elizabeth started going out at night and hanging out at nightclubs and bars while she was down in Florida. In 1942, Cleo contacted Phoebe with hopes of returning and becoming a family again. However, Phoebe turned him down. Cleo, who was living in Vallejo, California, worked at the Mar Island Naval Shipyard. In December of 1942, 18-year-old Elizabeth decided to move to California to live with her father, whom she had not seen since he abandoned the family in 1930. She had promised to help around the house in exchange for living there, and Cleo sent her $200, which approximately would be just over $3,000 today, in order for her to move there with him. Rather than helping him out around the house, Elizabeth slept all day and partied all night and ran around with different men. Cleo did not approve of this lifestyle and eventually kicked her out in January, less than a month after she arrived. 
Elizabeth relocated to Santa Barbara County in California, where she got a job working as a cashier for the post exchange at Camp Cook. Camp Cook was a U.S. Army armored training camp during World War II before being deactivated in 1946. Camp Cook was later used as an infantry training facility during the Korean War before being turned into an Air Force base. Today, Camp Cook is part of the Vandenberg Air Force Base. While working at the Post Exchange, Elizabeth lived with several friends and dated an Army Air Force sergeant for a short time as he was abusive towards her. After quitting her job at the Post Exchange, Elizabeth moved into a small apartment in Santa Barbara with one of her girlfriends. While in Santa Barbara, Elizabeth continued to party frequently. On September 23rd, 1943. At the age of 19, Elizabeth was arrested at a local bar for underage drinking. She was booked but never charged as the police felt sorry for her and sent her back home to live with her mother in Massachusetts. Shortly after her return to Massachusetts, she left for Florida again. This time, she met and fell in love with a gentleman by the name of Major Matthew Michael Gordon Jr., who was a decorated Army Air Force officer. In the spring of 1945, Matthew was deployed overseas. After being involved in a plane crash in India, he sent Elizabeth a marriage proposal while he was recovering and she accepted. Unfortunately, Matthew ultimately died after being involved in a second plane crash on August 10th of 1945. A heartbroken Elizabeth then moved back to Medford and got a job as a cashier at a movie theater. In April of 1946, she moved to Hollywood, California, where she stayed in a small hotel room. Broke and borrowing money, Elizabeth began to date for dinner, which was a common thing at that time, going out each night with different guys. Elizabeth moved to Long Beach, California, where she met Lieutenant Joseph Gordon Flicking who was stationed at the naval base there. Despite falling head over heels in love, they eventually split up. During the months of May through October of 1946, Elizabeth shared a room with Anne Toth in a home owned by Anne's boyfriend, Mark Hansen. Mark was a nightclub and theater owner. When Elizabeth moved out, Mark gave her an address book with his name embossed on the cover they contain names and numbers of well-known people in Hollywood. She then moved in with seven other women in a small apartment until December of 1946. On December 5th, she traveled to San Diego where she met a theater usher named Dorothy French. Elizabeth moved in with Dorothy and her mother where she lived for the last month and a half prior to her death. Dorothy remembered Elizabeth being picked up on January 8, 1947 by a gentleman named Robert Manley who went by the nickname Red in a Coop Studebaker. Red was a 25-year-old married salesman who had recently been discharged from the military. Red and his wife Harriet were having marital issues despite recently having a baby. Red was one of several gentlemen Elizabeth had been dating at the time of her death. On the last night of Elizabeth's life, she went out for dinner and dancing with Red. While at dinner, Elizabeth had a few drinks, which was something out of the ordinary for her, 
as she did not drink often despite having lived a life of partying. Elizabeth and Red stayed in separate beds in a hotel room that night. The next day, Red took Elizabeth to the Biltmore Hotel on South Grand Avenue in downtown Los Angeles to meet up with one of her sisters who had traveled to California to visit. The two were supposed to be having lunch together at the restaurant in the hotel. Elizabeth was last seen at the Biltmore on the night of January 9, 1947, still waiting for her sister. There were reports of Elizabeth in the six days after leaving the Biltmore, although none have been confirmed, leaving the whereabouts of Elizabeth for those last six days unknown. On January 15, 1947, around 10 a.m., a local resident, Betty Bearsinger, and her three-year-old daughter were walking to a shoe repair store when Betty spotted what she at first thought was a mannequin close to the road in a vacant lot in the Limer Park area of Los Angeles. At the time, the area was largely undeveloped. After getting closer to the mannequin, she realized it was actually a body of a naked woman. Betty ran to the nearest house to call the police. The first person on the scene was a reporter from the Herald Express named Aggie Underwood. Upon her arrival, Aggie began taking pictures of the body. When the police first arrived on the scene, they weren't prepared for what they were about to see. The woman was face up, badly mutilated. She was severed into two pieces at the waist with the lower half of her body positioned a foot away from the upper body and her intestines were tucked beneath her. Her skin was pale, appearing white in color, and she was completely drained of blood. The victim's face had several cuts and three-inch slashes running from the corner of her mouth towards her ear, similar to a joker smile. She had several cuts on her thighs, breasts, and pubic region. There were also areas of her body where the entire portion of her flesh had been sliced away, including a spot on her upper left thigh that was believed to have had a rose tattoo. An autopsy was performed by the Los Angeles coroner, Frederick Newbar. Most of the trauma to her body was done post-mortem and her body had apparently been washed by the killer. The victim was murdered elsewhere and brought to this site where she was posed in an area where she would be found somewhat quickly. The coroner determined that there were ligature marks from a rope or wire on her wrists, ankles, upper right thigh, and neck. It appeared as though she had been raped and tortured for several days and samples were taken to test for the presence of sperm, but the results came back negative. She was cut in half post-mortem by a technique taught in the 1930s called hemicorporectomy, meaning the killer had medical training. The cause of death was determined to be hemorrhaging from the lacerations to her face and the shock from blows to her head. The medical examiner determined that she had been dead for around 10 hours prior to the discovery, leaving her time of death sometime during the evening of January 14th or the early morning hours of January 15th. There was no identification on the body, so they identified her through fingerprints. 
Her fingerprints were matched to Elizabeth's fingerprints from the previous arrest in Santa Barbara. Trying to locate the next of kin to notify them of her death was difficult. Investigators first went to Cleo to have him identify the body. And when they found him, he was drunk and uncooperative. Cleo refused to identify her body and did not attend her funeral as he wanted nothing to do with her. Phoebe then flew to California to identify Elizabeth's body and help with the case. Police then put out a special bulletin looking for information regarding the whereabouts of Elizabeth from January 9th through January 15th. Throughout the investigation, hundreds of people were considered suspects and thousands of people were interviewed by police. On January 21st, 1947, James Richardson, the editor of the Los Angeles Examiner, received a phone call from a man that claimed to be Elizabeth's killer. A letter also came in the mail containing individual letters cut out and glued to a piece of paper that read, here is Dahlia's belongings, letter to Fowl. The envelope contained her photographs, business cards, birth certificate, social security card, and an address book with the name Mark Hansen on the cover with several pages ripped out. Another package reported to have been received by the examiner contained a handbag and shoe that were said to belong to Elizabeth. This information was handed over to the police for examination. The evidence had been doused in gasoline to remove all traces of the sender. However, police were still able to get several partial fingerprints from the envelope and send them off to the FBI for testing. Unfortunately, the fingerprints were compromised during mailing and could not be tested. On January 26th, an additional handwritten letter was received by the examiner stating, Here it is, turning in Wednesday, January 29th, 10 a.m., had my fun at police. It was signed, Black Dahlia Avenger. Police waited for the killer to turn himself in, but he never showed. And at 1 p.m., the examiner received yet another letter that was cut and pasted, stating, Have changed my mind. You would not give me a square deal. Dahlia killing was justified. The Herald Express also reported receiving letters from the killer including one that was also a cut-and-paste letter stating, I will give up on Dahlia killing if I get 10 years. Don't try to find me. A reported total of 750 investigators from the LAPD, 400 sheriff deputies, and 250 California State Patrol officers worked on the case in its early stages of the investigation. They searched abandoned structures, storm drains, and various sites along the Los Angeles River with no further evidence found. The press tracked down her nickname of the Black Dahlia and dubbed this the Case of the Black Dahlia. There is conflicting information how Elizabeth received her nickname, the Black Dahlia. One possible originated from servicemen that would hang out at a local drugstore in Long Beach. They reportedly called her the Black Dahlia because of her beauty in nearly all black wardrobe. A possible reference to a popular movie at the time, The Blue Dahlia. Another possible origin was the press themselves. Several of Los Angeles's 
top newspapers ran articles regarding the Black Dahlia for at least 30 days in a row. Police blamed the media for the lack of progress in the case, saying they compromised the crime scene by walking all over it and not reporting leads they received. Police reached out to Dorothy French, the woman Elizabeth was staying with prior to her disappearance, who gave police Red's name. After going to Red's house to question him, his wife told them that he was at his friend Harry's house in San Francisco. Police eventually tracked Red down and brought him in for extensive questioning. Red passed two polygraph tests and was let go. A $10,000 reward, which would be about $118,000 today, was offered for any information leading to the murder of Elizabeth. Due to the complexity of this case, every person who knew Elizabeth was considered a suspect that police had to eliminate. Mark Hansen and Ann Toth were brought in for questioning, along with several other people listed in the address book of belonging to Elizabeth. All of them were cleared and let go. A witness came forward claiming he saw a car in the early morning of January 15, 1947, near where the body was found. The witness saw the driver of the car standing in the lot near where the body was found. However, this information was never confirmed. In September 1947, the Los Angeles Grand Jury reconvened in order to sift through potential related murders. This highlighted the difficulty the Los Angeles Police Department faced solving such murders. The Grand Jury also sifted through the complicated web of suspects in the Black Dahlia case, including Leslie Dillon and George Hodel. There are few suspects that stood out amongst the rest. Leslie Dillon was a former bellhop at an L.A. hotel. He was also previously an assistant to a mortician. Leslie wrote letters to the Los Angeles Police Department's psychiatrist, Dr. DeRiver, theorizing about the case. He theorized that she had been killed in a hotel. During the investigation, Witnesses described a room in the Astor Motel as having been drenched with blood, including the walls, bathroom, and bedsheets. The Astor Motel was only a mile from the crime scene. Leslie was never charged with the murder, even though some circumstantial evidence pointed towards him. He later changed his story, stating that Jeff Connors, an acquaintance of his, committed the murder and gave him all the details regarding the case. Jeff denied being involved in the murder and they both were able to provide alibis. Jack Anderson Wilson was a career criminal, an alcoholic and known sex offender. Jack sometimes went by the aliases Arnold Smith and Ale Morrison. It was believed that Jack killed Georgette Bauerdorf, who was attacked, raped and found in the bathtub although this was never proven. George Hodel is probably the most well-known suspect of the murder of Elizabeth Short. George was a brilliant doctor who ran a venereal disease clinic. He also knew how to surgically cut people and completely drain their blood. George had an IQ of 186, which is one point higher than Albert Einstein. George had five wives, and 11 children throughout his life. 
He was known to have elaborate parties that included drugs, drinking, and sex. George was very shady and reportedly dated Elizabeth at one point. He was also a suspect in the death of his secretary, Ruth Spaulding, who died due to an overdose. At the time of her death, Ruth was getting ready to turn George into the police for financial fraud, as he would bill patients for procedures and tests that were never performed. George had also been accused of having sex with his 14-year-old daughter, Tamar, although he was acquitted. Some of George's friends also reportedly had sex with Tamar. The results of the abuse from George and his friends eventually resulted in a pregnancy that George unsuccessfully tried to abort. Between February 15th and March 27, 1950, police bugged George's house. There was an 18-man task force that was listening in on his conversations. In February 1950, he was recorded saying, supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia. They can't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. They thought there was something fishy. Anyway, now they have figured it out. Killed her. Maybe I did kill my secretary. By April 1950, there was enough evidence to convict George in Ruth's murder. However, he fled to Hawaii for three years before relocating to the Philippines where he lived until 1990. George then returned to the United States where he remained until his death. He died in San Francisco, 1999, at age 91, without ever being charged for Ruth's murder. After George's death, his son, Steve Hodel, started looking into his father's life using his experience as a former homicide detective. Steve acquired some photos from his father's things that he believed to be Elizabeth in George's home. And after having them examined by professionals, they were determined to have a 95% positivity rate. Steve believed that his father's handwriting matched the handwriting on letters that were sent to the media in the following days after Elizabeth's murder. Steve also believed his father bribed the LAPD in order for him to be let go of all charges. There were other cases that were possibly related to the Black Dahlia, which include the Cleveland Torso murders. From 1934 to 1938, 12 people were killed, dismembered, and their body parts were spread throughout the area. In 1946, Suzanne Degnan, which was a case that we covered earlier, titled The Lipstick Killer. She was dismembered and her body parts were spread throughout the sewer and drain system. In 1947, the murder of Jean French. She was just killed a couple weeks after Elizabeth. Her body was found naked and badly beaten. Her body was positioned and there was a writing on her stomach in lipstick that read, Fuck you, BD. And below that was the word Tex. The murder of the Black Dahlia is still considered to be the most notorious murder in Los Angeles' history. In 1947, shortly after Elizabeth's murder, Republican State Assemblyman C. Don Field introduced a bill calling for the formation of the Sex Offender Registry. California became the first state in the nation to enact a sex offender registration law. Thank you for listening to Crime Night. 
You can find our sources on our website listed in the podcast description. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube under Crime Night Podcast. Please join us every other Wednesday at 6 p.m. Central. Goodbye. Good night.